Welcome to the Irish Golfer Podcast, brought to you in association with KPMG. I'm your host, Peter Finnan, and delighted as always to be joined again by John Craven. How are you? Good to be back. Yeah, yeah, good to be back. A lot to talk about this week. It's a bit of a bit of a minefield of content this week by the looks of it. I know, yeah. Um, I was going to joke and say, was there any golf on at the weekend? But yeah, there was an awful lot of stuff going on. Yeah, what is it? Just a month into the season, not even. And yeah, the world has gone mad. But yeah, let's get into it. So what, like, like you can't start anyway in a week like this without just going straight into PGA Tour, Patrick Reed. Like, where do you start? <laughs> I know. I think we should start off positively, if you can, not to spin it. But um, like, if it was anyone else, you'd be just lauding over how easily he won how impressive it was. Um, I have a few stats that I don't know if anyone follows Justin Ray Golf on Twitter, but he said over the past 30 years, so Reed wins by five. He ranked on the week 63rd in greens and regulation. Over the past 30 years on the PGA Tour, only 0.7% of winners have ranked that or worse. Um, he's also six out of eight in holding a 54-hole lead. And going on to win. So that's impressive in itself. He's back to number 10 in the world. Like there's so much to like about it. And yet somehow he manages to flip the book and we're all just yeah. negative to read. Um, he was yeah. a machine on the greens. Like I, I, he missed some amount of greens, but like his up and down stats are off the charts. Like I've never seen a guy to hold, not since I suppose Jordan Speed back in like four or five years ago literally once he got a side of the hole bang it was in in the final round and it was flawless absolutely flawless it was tiger-like flawless i if john hogan ever listens to this he'll say there's no such thing as a flawless round of golf (laughs) no but to go on and win like uh, you know and, and we'll talk a little bit about the the similarities i draw from both europe and the states looking at performances in the last round so you have Paul Casey unbelievably good win now he made some mistakes in the final round um, but he still got the job done by quite a lot you look at Reed and what they done you look at the two guys playing with him so Bob McIntyre box seed in Europe looking at how Paul Casey gets it over the line and Victor Hovland looking at, at Patrick Reed such a lesson to those young guys on how to get the job done yeah, his short game is incredible. He he's really interesting to watch. I saw a lot of people um criticizing, like saying he was, he's a boring golfer to look at on social media and stuff. Couldn't agree like at all with that. It's crazy. He doesn't hit it that long. He's tactically very good, picks apart a golf course. But the fact that yeah, like he's missing most of the greens and still scoring the way he does, his wedge play is lethal, putting's very strong. Um, I would ask like does he need kind of that adversity to produce his best golf? Because he Absolutely. seems to, you reckon? Oh, I would, I would 100%. And I, when we were talking before, I had it down like to something like a racehorse analogy, like Seabiscuit. Once the blinkers are on, that horse was unbeatable. And once Patrick Reed is poked, he just, the shutters come down, tunnel vision, and he just, he just wants to kill everyone around. He doesn't hear... <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't hear what's going on. He doesn't care. He doesn't hear. And he, if anything, his performance, his stats up, his performance levels go through the roof. And he's just too, like Rory at his best couldn't contend. I know we spoke about that last week. 
once yeah. the heat gets turned up, Patrick Reed shows up. Yeah, it's incredible. He just embraces that villain character. Like, it doesn't seem to knock him at all. I know on Saturday after the whole drop incident, it, it did seem to affect him for a few holes, but, like, it was after that round and the questioning and it's an inquisition and stuff like that. And then Sunday he comes out and he's just, yeah, as you say, tunnel vision for the line. Um, he's going to win. He's going to lap it up. Um, oh, he, he's just incredible. Um, and then the clouds form, but like I wish it's annoying. I'm sure it's annoying for him. Uh, like as looking at the coverage now, it we'll get into the ins and outs of what he did, what he didn't do, and the debate and all that. But like for it to totally overshadow a win on one of the toughest golf courses on the PGA Tour rota, um, and every question he was asked by every media organization was, uh, you know, talking about the drop, talking about. Uh, what he did he was fully vindicated by the referees like yeah the rules as far as he's concerned as far as the PGA Tour are concerned as far as the referees all on site are concerned he broke no rule on that particular time yeah he didn't well Rory McIlroy called it a storm in a teacup I guess if it's anyone else that doesn't become part of the narrative he's won it by five even if he takes a penalty like it's it's not gonna affect the outcome of the tournament. There's just so much history there and so much previous that you can't help but make it become a story with Patrick Reed. Um, I don't know what you thought of it, but it just seemed like as soon as as soon as he was approached the ball, he was asking, "Was it embedded? Did you see it bounce?" Like before he's even got there and examined the lie. Um, whereas most people, you think that that would be kind of a last resort. Like first you're going to check out your ball. And so it was almost like he was premeditating what he was going to do, but he didn't like where he was walking into and how badly that rough was. Um, like it was thick, it was lush. And then from there, like there's just so much to unravel. Um, like firstly, why does he move the ball? Like this has been well covered. Why not just leave the tee there if he has any doubt, leave the ball in place, call the referee over but he's allowed under the rules. So they, they changed the rules of golf. Rory didn't call a ref. You don't need to call a ref for an embedded golf ball. And I know the question, no matter how many layers we unravel, we say, right, he doesn't need a referee to do this. Um, he did. I think he panicked a bit. I think he, right. So they didn't see the ball bounce. The first thing he did when he got to the golf ball was ask the marshal, did the ball bounce? And the marshal said, no, didn't see it bounce. Um, so he had they're his only eyes close to things, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But you like golfers bend the rules, golfers try and push as much as they can towards the rule without breaking a rule. But the whole the only questionable part in this whole thing is whether he because it was so wet, like yeah. they got five inches of rain the night before, they had preferred lies across the court. That ball technically could break ground on its second bounce quite easily. Because you're talking fractions. Once it makes a lip, it's embedded. But I think Patrick Reed is going along. And like we were saying, tunnel vision, blinkers on. He doesn't see cameras. There's no crowds. He doesn't see anything. like He's just seen golf ball, hole, flag. Yeah. Process. He's in process. So he doesn't. And I think when he stopped and he bent down, marked it, lifted up, everything that he should be doing. And it puts it down. And then he realizes, okay, there's two cameras on me here. I better call a referee just to because he didn't want things to blow out of all proportion because he knows he's tired with that brush. And 
then the question of did he put downward pressure on when he was lifting out did he push his finger into the hole you have to take the man at his word now I don't I think that's where he goes wrong <laughs> Well, I, I don't think you can take him at his word because of his history. That The particular finger thing, like obviously the evidence is inconclusive, but it, there is like there's a, like a 10 second stretch of camera where it does look like there's a little lean forward. Like that like really stood out to me as him just doing all he could to hide what had happened. I agree that maybe he did panic a little. Maybe he... Yeah, he knows he's leading. He has all the attention on him. But it's just the way he goes about it. Compared to McElroy, who was so convinced that he had an embedded ball that he didn't call a referee over. He's seen the embedded ball a million times. He And he moves on with pace of play, drops it probably a foot away from where the ball had embedded. Reed, I guess one of the unsavory things is how much of an advantage he got out of that situation by using the club length and getting the drop into a perfect life, whereas he really should have been in the dirt. Like, I don't think that drop justified all the madness that went on online. I think, from the player's point of view, when you look at some of the players' comment, I think they're more pissed off about the drop that he took a few holes later, Greenside, when he yeah. took a wide stance with a sprinkler there to get himself out of a bad lie, gets his drop... Calls the referee, gets his drop, drops it, and then proceeds to play the shot with like half the width of a stance. So he has fabricated his playing conditions and how he was going to play that shot. Um, now, I know he's a different shot to play when he drops it on a different surface, but still, again, you're pushing the... It's the moral boundaries of the rules is what he's pushing. Yeah. And he, he seems quite comfortable with that. Yeah, and I agree with that. I You have seen players, I've seen Dustin Johnson do that. Like players that know the rules do use them to their advantage plenty of times. I think the issue with Reed, and you're saying like you have to give him benefit of doubt, is that there are so many passing discretions. Like people will say, move on, he won the tournament, that's it. The PGA Tour will want everyone to move on and forget about it because they want to protect their brand. They're never going to come out critical against one of their own players. But what happens the next time Patrick Reed does this? Yeah, we and said like, this a few years ago, but Bunker Gate yeah. and stuff like that when he was like, they were, like a fan got kicked out. I remember reading that before. A fan got kicked out of that. The tournament two weeks later when he teed it up again for asking him to sign a shovel. <laughs> like, yeah, that's all of it. Uh, but like, this is it though. And it's 100% going to happen because he is a repeat offender. Like it dates back... Well, for from my knowledge anyway, to his University of Georgia days where he was dismissed from the team because team qualifying, the t- team were convinced that he was cheating. Um, I know you can't use the, the cheat word in golf, but like that seems to be the case. Then obviously, yeah, you had the Hero World Challenge where Kepka said he's building sandcastles in the bunker. Peter Costas, when he was on No Laying Up, said at least four times he's watched him improve his lie. I think one example was the Barclays tournament at Bethpage back in 2016. Costas is an on-course commentator. He's standing by Reed, who's examining his lie in the rough, and he has like a short iron out. He's put it like behind the ball five or six times, trying to decide what he's going to do. And then Reed plays a three without a lie. And Costas on air to Gary McCord says, the, the lie I saw originally wouldn't have allowed for that shot. And McCord goes quiet because he's basically being called out on live TV. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's the man. Like, 
I I think Patrick Reed is a pretty nasty guy. And what really frustrates me about him is that he is so good and he proved how good he was on Sunday. He doesn't need to do it. Like, why? He doesn't. But it's, why have referees if you're not going to govern? Why have rules if you're not going to stick to them? It's the PGA Tour's responsibility to take care of this. Not Patrick Reed, I don't think. Because he hasn't broken the rules outright. He has... He has stood as close to breaking the rules as you can. And he's made some questionable decisions, but it's for them to punish him. And time and time again, all these things we name out, they look at the same footage we do and they come out and they vindicate him. So he's vindicated by his employers. Yeah, I thought it was good. The, like the journalists didn't let him off post round. And I think you had to grill him. Um, there was one, one guy asked, do you feel golf reveals character? character and Reed said for sure I feel like golf is a game where it's won not just by talent but hard work and between the years because like I said one day you're out there you'll hit 14 fairways 18 greens and make every putt then the next day you're out there you'll feel you haven't swung a club before it's how you're able to handle it mentally and figure out a way to get it done and so the journalist obviously hasn't got his answer there Reed's just waffling yeah so the journalist says but what does golf reveal about your character? And Reed says, the biggest thing is how resilient I am, how passionate for the game of golf, and also how passionate I am for my country. There's no other reason why I'm not wearing red, white, and blue today. Like, <laughs> All it, you it, want it, is the Team America World Police <laughs> music to come on in the background. <laughs> Imagine that. Like, like, what does golf say about your character? Oh, Jesus, great to be Irish. Like, it's mental, mental stuff. That's mad. Yeah, I guess yeah, we do have to uh, have to just move on. But he, yeah, he's some man. Um, just as you say, he just does not care. It's water off a duck's back. He's saying that he knows well. He's driving the journalist absolutely insane. He's trying to get yeah, yeah. Back. He's laughing. I'm sure he's having a good laugh. Like, I don't like him as a as a person, but we don't have to. He's a, he's a golfer. As a golfer, there's not many people I would trust on a green to hold a putt to save your life. You know, but it was just. He was he was quality, and you have to tip your hat to how he did it under that microscope. But yeah, there's so many questions over his uh, just his ethics on the golf course, how he handles himself, how he carries himself, and and it's not the look golf needs or wants, but he's that good that he just keeps popping up. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important to differentiate. Like we can drop this now, but just with McElroy's drop, there's obviously are similarities there. I think McRoy's got the benefit of the doubt based on his reputation. He's McRoy himself said it was definitely in its own pitch mark. He felt no need to call over a referee, ask Rory Sabatini, who had a plug ball the hole before. Yeah. And moves on with it. Rory said this, it's the worst thing in golf to be labeled as someone that tries to get away with something or labeled a cheater. That's just not how you want your reputation to be. Even going back to PGA Championship at Harding Park last year, I got relief because someone stepped on my ball, but I didn't feel it was right because the lie that I had was way worse than the lie that I had been given. So I gave myself a worse lie just to be fair to the field and the tournament in general. I've never tried to get away with anything out here. I think I said at the time in golf, you'd rather be on the wrong side of the rules than the right side of them because that's just what our game's about. Our game is about integrity and it's about doing the right thing. I always try to do the right thing and hopefully people see that. I feel like I have a reputation of that and I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. You can't, you can't knock him. Like, but I just think, yeah, there's been an overreaction to it and, and there will be again. It's not the last time we'll get a rules infringement with Patrick Reed. Um, I just think, yeah, 
He's won. He's he's dodged a bullet um, by not being penalised for his actions. Um, but there's nothing really they could penalise him for. So, yeah. Okay, let's leave it there. I say everyone's probably sick to death hearing about Patrick Reed. Yeah, well, yeah. Done. But everyone has their own opinions. That's the the other thing on Patrick. Reed, just to end on a positive note for him is um, U.S. Open's going back to the South Course in June, and you'd have to say like he should be one of the favourites now after the way he played it there. He's has all the hallmarks for U.S. Open, I reckon. Yeah, I. The only one thing I'd say is that when the golf course is faster, which is going to be for the U.S. Open. And yeah. the greens around the greens when that rough is really like they have a summer of growth. I don't think he'll have anywhere close to the same up and down stats if he misses greens on that level and misses fairways like he did this week. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but yeah, he, he will be there, thereabouts, obviously. But yeah, I, I couldn't see him. Captain America, US Open. I wouldn't yeah. rule it out. But Stop. yeah, more Team America, World Police. <laughs> right anyway well one thing the other thing that stuck out in that tournament definitely Victor Hovland he looks he just looks so comfortable up there he he made a few mistakes I think the 14th hole he double bogeyed at both days just took him totally out of the tournament when he was really in the mix but uh he is uh he is the real deal he looks brilliant and he looks probably a nail down to make it into Harrington's team come September um, which like looking at that tournament like you had John Ram going well obviously Casey winning in Dubai like, there's a, I know there's a lot of depth in America but there is so much depth in Europe ahead of September this year like Padre's going to have a tough time in his hands um, depending on who plays themselves in to get their three picks I know we want to talk about that eventually but Will we move on to Dubai? Yeah, no, we'll get into that. Like, you know, Harrington's part of the Dubai. Be we talk about yeah. Ryder Cup or we talk about guys up there. Like, his his back garden has a lot to answer for. That's all I'll say. <laughs> like, he finished tied sixth. It's his best finish in two years since I think September 2018. It's seven cuts in a row he's made. It's his best run of cuts made since 2012, and a second top ten since coming out after a six month lockdown. Like, yeah, it's crazy. As a 49-year-old guy competing with all these young guys, he is just so determined. Yeah, well, he banked 77 grand for that um, results, bringing his European Tour career earnings to just shy of 27 million. So he's done well for himself. He's also moved 64 places up in the world to 244, which is his highest ranking in a year and a half or something like that. It's interesting that, um, I don't know, was it on the Saturday that he said it, but unless he's contending for a tournament this year, he's going to be pretty happy just to go to the Champions Tour. Like, he's not on the tour anymore to make up the numbers. He wants to compete. He believes he can compete. He's going to Phoenix, where his record isn't great this week. But he's going like there he's to got- win. He thinks he's going to yeah. win this week. He really thinks. The one stat that stuck out for me with, with Harrington this week is going into the final round, all that pressure. Like Shane Lowry started on the same score as him and Shane had an awful day on Sunday. It was a tough, like, we got to see a few putts and stuff like that, but nothing went right for him. But nobody ahead of Harrington shot a better score than him. Yeah. Oh, he was in, like he was really feeling on the Sunday. It wasn't a Saturday, this interview, because he had a feeling that if he could post 64 or something, that the leaders would really struggle to kick on. And he was right for the most part, apart from Casey. 
like everyone did struggle. He said that the greens were like US Open greens. He didn't have a lot of confidence putting on them, but like he still hold his fair share. It's brilliant to see. Yeah, you're right. Like his backyard garden drills, like he's obviously gotten as much out of them as we have watching them. He looks so sharp. One thing I'd say, you were talking about the greens. The greens looked awful in Dubai on the TV. They looked horrendous. They're like, they, it's like they painted the sand. <laughs> yeah, they weren't true. There was a few uh, putts that were tracking that just out of nowhere would like just jink left or whatever. And just, uh, I, Podrick reckoned that they put it better than they looked, but there were a lot of lads like Lowry, as you said, that really struggled. Lowry, I saw a stat, he's 93rd in putts per round so far this year. Um, averaging just under 29, like 28.98. So yeah, it's not bit good. Of a worry, bit of a worry for him. Um, yeah. I know well, you talk about his tricks and um, new driver and that he was saying that he's still trying to fall in love with it. Yeah. Um, ah, it'll take a yeah. while. Exactly. Yeah. But the positives on, again, we were saying Paul Casey cracking Wayne, like just really he just took the place apart again. Didn't make too many mistakes, made a few, but there was no one really putting the pressure on him. Bob McIntyre got himself to where he wanted to be and just fell away sort of around the turn, had three or four bogeys in a row and just fell off the pace and couldn't really get it going again, you know, but McIntyre is an exciting one to watch. Yeah. Another one for the Ryder Cup. Parrington that was talking about him on Saturday. I think he played with a murder in the week and just loves his spirit, loves his fight. Um, he's the highest ranked lefty in the world now. I saw he's forty second in the world, maybe. Um, but yeah, another one like who looks like he has every chance of playing his way into the Ryder Cup team. Casey's an interesting one. He's like he's well outside the reckoning for Ryder Cup as it stands, but well, not well out, but a bit out. He, you'd have to think he has a Ryder Cup in him this year, if not a bloody major, even a major. The way he's going, like he's hitting the ball so well. He seems to have a different perspective or something around his golf now he shows a lot of emotion in his post-round interviews and he's a guy I don't know what your opinion is on him I don't know him at all but I know he divides opinion a lot of people don't like him he comes across very well for me yeah I interviewed him a few times before and he wasn't a nice interviewee uh I asked him stuff about Irish Open and Carton House and he kind of cut the legs off me and things but (laughs) Uh, yeah looking at him he's definitely a changed man over the last season or so and his goal it's great to hear Europeans coming out like that like guys like him he knows is probably his last chance at a Ryder Cup and I think he's gonna I think he's gonna automatically qualify he's he looks such a classy player and it's the dilemma that Harrington has um, I suppose when we were on I was on a call earlier on in the week with Harrington about and asked him about sort of Ryder Cup stuff we'll I'll play a little bit of a clip in it there on just the different qualification processes and how I suppose the year extra is going to be just that step too far for some of the older guys it's questionable like you know I wouldn't so much put Casey in there but like a Sergio Lee Westwood GMAC guys like that they're either going to qualify which or Justin Rose as well like you know one or two of them may qualify if not most of them will be on the plane and going there as part of his backroom staff as an assistant captain. That's right. Um, he actually, I would take one name off that list. He pretty much said to Nick Dorothy on Saturday after his round that Garcia is going to the Ryder Cup. Like, I couldn't imagine a Ryder Cup without Sergio as a player. Yeah, like yeah. not background. So I reckon 
if Garcia doesn't play his way in, which I reckon he will anyway, he, he'll be a guaranteed pick, which Patrick's hands will be tied very quick when it comes to picks. Like, there's lads thinking that, like, if Larry doesn't make it automatically, he'll get a pick. Like, it's not going to work that way. No um, chance. He won't, Larry won't get picked unless, unless something, I don't think he will anyway. Like, you can't, it's like a manager picking a son to play football, you know, sort of way when he's managing the team or whatever. Like, he, it'll be very tough for him to, to pick Larry. And if, if Larry makes it, it'll have to be on merit. Yeah, exactly. And like, if it is a pick that backfires, they'll be like shouting about modern day nepotism. Um, it won't work. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's it's great position to be in. Like, that's every uh, captain's dream, you'd think. Like, normally these teams kind of pick themselves. You know, this year, you'd hope it won't. And uh, I guess, like, the flip side, not to go back to Patrick Reed, but he's 100% going to play his way on. Absolute nightmare, though, surely. Like, he's the most divisive man in the dressing room. He'll be a great man to get your singles point, but who do you pair him with? Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, it. Like, it, it's... Like, it's one thing that I like. This is the what we'll play is the, the dynamic of the difference in both camps and how Stricker's approach and Harrington's approach. So, like, Harrington could have had as many as eight picks if he wanted. Now, yeah. Stricker's gone with six picks. Now, the headache that that will cause him, I think it's more, uh, more hassle than it's worth having to pick so many. So, here's Harrington just talking about that sort of uh, dilemma, I suppose he has about it, and why they've went about, why he's went with three picks. I did have a choice in how many wild cards I had, and, and I, I didn't want any more than three. I, I, I believe players should be given the right to qualify. Uh, those ones who qualify deserve to be there. Uh, I think that's why we're good in Europe, because of the system. We, we, we give everybody a chance. We give, you know... I, it it shouldn't be exclusive that it's only limited to those who are supposedly the best players. It it, it gives you got to give the rookies a chance to qualify. You got to give them a fair crack at a whip. Everybody in, who's on the European tour who's eligible feels like, hey, I have a chance of making this team, and and that's very important for the morale of the team that everybody feels they're part of it. And giving me six picks. While it would have given me a hell of a headache, I just don't think it would. Uh, I don't think it would help the morale of the team. You, when you have a lot of options, I, I, at one stage you were talking about eight options. If you've eight picks, eight picks, and there's the more picks you have, the more people who think they can make it. So if you've eight picks and you've twenty-four guys in contention, that's seven hundred and thirty thousand distinct teams you can come up with. That is going to cause everybody's going to second guess that. Whereas if you've got three picks and you know maybe five people in contention, I think that's twenty different outcomes you can come up with. So there's not as many. Doubters, second guessing, and you don't want any doubt when you come to your team. You don't want somebody in the team thinking that I should have picked somebody else who would have made a good partner for them or something like that. You want to narrow down that. My three picks are to build on the nine players who qualify. That's exactly it. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in picking the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth best player. I'm interested in picking three players who complement in foursomes and four ball and in attitude what the other nine players who qualified are. So yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty clear on like, you know, the older guys are going to make up the dynamic of the team and he's just waiting to see who plays their way in and who doesn't and then bring them with him as assistant captains. Yeah, trust Harrington to come out with an equation from Goodwill Hunting with his 77,000 different yeah. variety. 170,000. That was 170, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many lads outside that team at the minute that you'd hope, like yeah, Sergio, Rose... 
Molinari, um, Martin Keimer is another one who's really playing his way into form. Um, and he's only 36 like this. Yeah, there's going to be, it, this is going to be a long one. Like it'll be right down to the wire stuff and it'll be hard to know who's going to make it. But I think whatever the team, it's, it's going to be strong. So I suppose we'll, we'll wrap up looking back and things. I suppose we're going to look at with this week coming up with the Saudi Invitational. Um, coming up as well. We might as well have a quick chat on, I suppose, a lead into that and what, what we think this week will play out now. This is probably going to be as, as, as political and divisive of a chat as the Patrick Reid discussion, but... Yeah, I'll stop. And most people say politics and sports shouldn't mix, but sometimes like you're burying your head in the sand if, you, if you're just going to deny what's going on in the background. Nobody told think... Jack Nicholas that. <laughs> I know sport, I, he's actually I, going to design a course out in Saudi as well I've seen during the week I can't believe it yeah just doubling down on his Trump endorsement <laughs> with uh, designing the golf course in Saudi I think on a positive note Saudi is probably going to be the only tournament whose crowd numbers won't be affected by COVID restrictions because nobody goes there anyway um, but apart from that yeah I, I'm like I'm totally in the camp of I don't think the tour should be going to Saudi I don't think that, like, the tour shouldn't be probably ethically going to a lot of places that plays golf. I don't know as much about those places as I do about Saudi. Saudi's a relatively new tournament. Like, it's only started in 2018. I think the tour have stepped into enough murky waters without adding this one to their roster. Um, and I suppose, the like, for a bit of background in it, you can ask like what is sport being used for in Saudi? Like there's been a big push with Saudi. It's gone into like motor racing, bloody WWE, boxing, and now golf is over there as well. In theory, it's a positive thing. Like it looks like they're moving towards a more liberal society. They're kind of getting away from their whole image of being oil dependent. And like they have this drive for 2030 that, yeah, makes it, like country kind of in spirit seem a bit more Western or whatever. In reality, like, is that benefiting the everyday Saudi or is it benefiting the regime and their image that it portrays to the world? And a lot of people come down the ladder that this, they call it sports washing, that basically it's a front for the country to just distract from their litany of human rights abuses. Their record, Amnesty International describes their human rights record as heinous. Um, and yeah, just in my view, the tour shouldn't be going there. I don't know why. Well, I know why they have to stoop to this level because the European tour needs money. Um, Saudi has a lot of it. And that's the reason that they're going to this event for the last couple of years. It really is. Watching last night to bring it back, I watched the documentary on the BBC. And I really would equate the whole Daniel Kinahan legacy story to... Saudi Arabia like it's exactly the same principle of trying to buy your way into like sports and into legitimacy and it it just doesn't wash it the athletes won't say no because they're part of organizations that have to I it's one thing that I don't like about uh the coverage around Saudi is the abuse some of the players get for going there I don't think a lot of the players have a choice that it's the tour's responsibility to make moral and ethical decisions and like Rory McIlroy was offered two million quid as was Tiger last year to go to that tournament and both turns it down saying 
it's just not the right moral decision. Don't know where the money's coming from. Not comfortable with it and not comfortable going there as a place. And that's it. Yeah, I agree with like the tour are putting players in uncompromising positions. I'm from the Omar Little School of Thought from the Wire, though, that a man's got to have a code. Um, I don't know if people have been on social media, but you see this particular tournament referred to as a lot as the bone saw invitational. Yeah. That's basically in response to who for whoever doesn't know, Jamal Hashogi. He was a he's a journalist, was a journalist, a Saudi critic who went into self-imposed exile in America in 2017. He worked for the Washington Post. Say so in order to marry his Turkish fiance, he was had to go to the Saudi consulate in Turkey to get these papers signed, which is usually a routine thing. He arrived was told that they couldn't do the papers that day. Could he come back in a week? He went back in a week, gave his two mobile phones to his wife who was waiting outside the consulate. He was pretty nervous about going in. He walked in there and within a few minutes, he was drugged, strangled, murdered, and then dismembered. His body parts chopped up by a bone saw that was brought to the site in what the Saudi government say was definitely not a premeditated killing. For anyone thinking, so like Saudi is an absolute monarchy, uh, Mohammed bin Salam. Anyway, that's kind of the background to it. Three months after Khashoggi is murdered and like the world, their eyeballs are on Saudi, like for this heinous thing that's happened. Step forward, European tour, cutting the red ribbon on the Saudi international as if this should be something that we all celebrate. Like the timing of it was disgusting. Like I can't believe it there. McElroy, as you said, turn it down. Paul Casey, who won last week, originally gave it a miss. He said, there are a lot of places in the world that I've played and continue to go, which you could question some human rights violations that governments have committed. I thought I'd sit this one out. Interestingly, this year, Casey had a change of heart. He said, I believe sport has the power to affect change. I've listened to Saudi's commitment to this and their vision for the future. It is always better to include rather than exclude when a listening change. Thus, I hope my participation makes a difference. This, this really gets me, like the idea that the European tour are going over there to develop and grow the game of golf in Saudi. The people in Saudi to try to affect change are Saudis. And anyone who they're tries... Dead. <laughs> they're dead. Yeah. If you're trying to affect change, you're dead. Exactly. The ones that are doing it, like who actually know what's going on in their country, they're trying to, like, they're either, yeah, they're either murdered or they're jailed and detained. Like... There's no freedom of speech whatsoever in Saudi. I don't want to harp on too long, but um, like the, just an example of that, like the ladies European tour has gone over there as well. Women were granted permission to drive there recently, which everyone was like, oh, look at Saudi, aren't they great? Not only do they host golf tournaments, but they let women drive. And yet you have the ladies European tour giving out about gender imbalance in golf and pay. And like the hypocrisy is unbelievable. Like talk about just closing your eyes to whatever narrative you want to believe but yeah it just i don't know why we're there simple as that but it boils back you know a lot of players like i'd say paul casey we were talking about his Ryder cup you know his drive to make that team he's looking at Ryder cup points and he's going well i'm out this far already why not just take a short trip down here and play this it's a golf tournament it's their job the tour have done this not the players and i wouldn't fault any players for going there uh, I know you probably have different opinions on that, but I, I just think that, say, if Lowry didn't go, he's at a bit of a disadvantage Ryder Cup points-wise, especially after the first two events he's after. 
Um, he's after having already, you know, with, with not making too many points and inroads into where he wants to be. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I think I get the point about Lowry and McRoy is obviously in the privileged position that he can play wherever he likes. Doesn't doesn't make a difference. You have Paul Dunn going there. Um, Cormac Sharvin got invites this week and they haven't had a game of golf in months. Like they do need starts. I'm completely idealistic on this one. And yeah, I just think that no good can come of this. I won't be watching the Saudi International. When Graham McDowell won it, I I didn't bat an eyelid. Like good luck to him. But um, yeah, it's not for me. I think anyone who wants to close their eyes and ears to what's actually going on in that country and just enjoy the golf for what it is. Um, yeah, you're just kidding yourself. <laughs> hard hitting stuff, John, or hard hitting stuff. Um, yeah, like I, I'll, I'm definitely like we're, I'll, I'll tune into it this week. It's a golf tournament. I kind of, I'm more able to split the politics away from the. I get why people are, and the reason, let's not forget, the reason it has such a good field. And like it's the, the fifth major by all accounts this year is because the likes of how much will Bryson be getting paid if McIlroy is getting two and a half million? Oh, they'd all be at least a million quid ahead, one 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 and a half million ahead, like just for showing up. Exactly, legitimacy. Like the Saudis have enough money to throw as much as they want at it to come across as a legitimate um, regime. But yeah, yeah, not fooling me, Pete. Um, but yeah, I'll be watching the Waste Phoenix Management Open with no crowds. But uh, it'll be a bit of crack anyway. Hopefully, Porrick wins. And GMAC defending as well. So, yeah, hopefully he goes well this week. He could do with a good a good few results. But, yeah, and, and other things, and we'll wrap it up with this then. Some good news this week with Port Marnock Lynx, the Irish Challenge, Challenge Tour events set there for May. So that was a great announcement to hear. Um, yeah. Really happy with that, that we're, at least we're getting some tournament golf onto the calendar. So we've Port Marnock Lynx to look out for in May and then, Irish Open not too soon after that so um, yeah that's it I suppose we'll wrap it up there cheers cheers for joining me again John thanks Pete sorry it was a bit political this week but yeah the crack will resume next week when Saudi's in the rear view mirror no problem at all and again to everyone cheers for joining in uh, cheers for listening um, Irish Golfer events actually launched this week so if you want to check out our website and our season starts uh, with we've 16 open events scheduled for this year. So if you have a go in you, which I think we all have to book a bit of golf, it doesn't kick off till May bank holiday weekend at the K club. Looking forward to that. And we will, yeah, catch you next week again. Cheers for listening. Thanks. Mm-hmm.